we're talking away I don't know what, what to say I'ma say it anyway Today is another day to find you Shining away I'll be coming for your love, okay Just like him. Yes. What's going down on my brothers from other mothers? Summertime is here. I'm rocking all the classic 80s pop hits. That's Take On Me by Aha Grizz Edition. It's one of the very best tunes that came from the 80s, the greatest decade ever. Man, that song had an epic music video too. It was like breakthrough for that time period. Had all the special effects going from cartoon imagery into real life it's just good stuff man i'm gonna be doing a fun episode soon that's just nothing but a countdown of the grizz's favorite 80s pop music just to celebrate summertime you know i'm gonna get my best dj voice and take you on a trip down memory lane for some sing-along good times and the spiritual benefit of that is gonna be nothing Anyway, if you're new to the podcast, I'm your host, Jason George. I identify as half man and half grizzly. All right, so this podcast is all about helping Christian men on their journey with Christ to step up, honor God, live manly. It's not your typical Christian podcast. I will not allow it to be that. We like to keep it raw, real, have some fun, get crazy, cross the line sometimes, want to say thanks for all the feedback I received regarding last week's episode that was entitled, All My Friends Are Dead. It was a powerful old sermon from the late evangelist, Freddie Gage. You know, all you guys who enjoy the Grizz podcast, you should stop everything you're doing right now, get off the treadmill, pull your truck over to the side of the road, and leave the Grizz a quick rating and review wherever you listen, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever. You know, last week, no joke, we charted on Apple Podcast in New Zealand at the number 54 spot for Christian Podcast. Now, that is huge, especially for a man or, well, a person who identifies as half man and half grizzly. <laughs> and I celebrated. Yes, I did. With some take on me. Anyway, I guess I better get serious. We have a few open spots for our climb teams, if you're interested. And let me ask you, you're like, what are climb teams? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you tired of falling to porn? Have you reached a point yet in your Christian life where you're like, I'm done. I'm sick of this. I got to do something. Like, has there been like this crisis of truth? Something has happened either in your life or maybe even just internally where you're like, this has to stop. Do you need some godly, biblical guidance, encouragement, connection, accountability to overcome the sin in your life? Then listen to me. Check out our climb teams. They meet online via Zoom every single week. 
The membership is just $40 per month, and it is well worth it, my brothers, with all that you get. We had three new guys join our Thursday night climb team this past week. You can learn more at our website, narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. Click on the climb team page. It's going to tell you everything that you need to know, and there's a short online application that you can fill out. Anyway, we're going to rip into the meat of this week's episode. It's going to be good, real good. What you're going to hear is a conversation that I had about eh, two weeks ago with my good friend, Roy Baldwin. That's right. Roy is a devoted follower of Christ, and he has greatly encouraged and sharpened me in my faith over the years. He's definitely one of those brothers that I feel like I can trust and confide in, you know, like when you need some serious prayer. He's one of those brothers that I reach out to, and I'm like, Roy, pray for me. And I know that he prays for me. Roy is also a husband and a father of three kids. He served in some sort of Christian ministry for a long time, like well over two decades, maybe close to three decades. And in our conversation, we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about ministry, talk about marriage, parenting, the important role that fathers play. We talk about struggles with pornography. We talk about the importance of being in connection and accountability with other brothers and about just getting healthy, that many times those of us that are in ministry, we're so busy trying to keep the ministry going and impacting lives that we neglect taking care of ourselves. So we talk about that and some basic stuff that Christian men need to be doing. Unfortunately, and I mean that, I lost the first part of our conversation due to some technical issues on my end. I messed something up like a freaking idiot. And I'm frustrated about it because we actually started out this conversation doing some 80s music trivia. <laughs> it was funny, man. And I lost it. I'm so, I'm so bitter about it. So you're going to come in at the part where Roy is telling me about how he was in college. He thought he wanted to be a youth pastor. And then, well, we'll pick up there. So still, there is plenty of good takeaways in this conversation, even though you missed out on the 80s music pop trivia. So stay tuned. At the end of this conversation, there's a few important items of Grizz Biz that you need to hear. Anyway, here we go. So I went to a college, uh, Nyack College, part of the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, because um, that was the denomination I was was raised in uh, back in Pennsylvania. And um, yeah, it was a hu huge part of my life growing in my faith. Yeah, you know, I got my minor in Bible. I got you know my degrees in sociology, uh, the social sciences, and I just wanted to honestly, I wanted to be a youth pastor. 
Um, but out of college, uh, God had a very different plan for my life. Um, and so he didn't really open up any of those doors for me to get into a church to become a youth pastor. So I ended up landing a job at a rehabilitational treatment facility uh, in that area. So just uh, just up the Hudson River in Rockland County. And I started working with adjudicated youth and kids in the foster care system. Um, so I was kind of on hand staff in our unit there, but eventually I grew into becoming a family advocate and I started spending a lot of time in the five boroughs. So uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, um, Queens, and working in some of the worst projects. So you can think me, some kind of country bumpkin from Western Pennsylvania, you know, going into and working in uh, those environments was just an eye-opening, life-changing experience for me. And it, I think God was just laying these really powerful foundation pillars in my life about who I am, my faith, and just talk about completely pulling you out of your comfort zone. Um, and so I learned a lot. Um, I saw a lot uh, that made me uncomfortable, uneasy, uh, came to terms with my own prejudices. Uh, you know, I, I think I had maybe two black kids in my high school growing up. And so going into, you know, say Harlem and the Bronx and working with families, I mean, that was just my worldviews changed, my understanding of poverty changed. Um, so that was really big in my life. Um, and then at that time, I got married. Um, and then my wife and I moved to Hershey, Pennsylvania, where we worked as house parents at a residential school. Uh, we did that for almost 10 years. We had about 70 plus girls uh, go through our home. Uh, we had about 10 girls, eight to 10 girls in our home at a time. And really, in some level, being, a, you know, kind of a surrogate parent to them. Um, are and they then we started having our own kids. I'm sorry. Are they What's there that? because they got in trouble and they had to come there? No, so everyone there was kind of volunteer. Uh, so they recruited, um, you know, fa uh, parents who wanted their children to have a, a better shot at, you know, life and opportunities. So a lot of the kids came from single parent homes. They weren't in trouble, um, but they were there on a volunteer basis. Um, mm. It's through Milton. It was the Milton Hershey School. So Milton Hershey and his wife, Catherine, they couldn't have kids. And so they started basically in an orphanage. It was basically an industrial school. So kids back in the day could walk away with the trade. It had evolved, obviously, over the years. So serving boys and girls. Uh, but there was probably about 1,500 to 1,600 kids there from mostly Pennsylvania, but all across the nation. Oh, was it one of those things where as you're working with them, maybe small groups are talking that you, if you and your wife had the opportunity to share the gospel, you could, because it wasn't a quote unquote Christian home, but it was just mm -hmm. like, you have to do kind of lifestyle. How was that? Yeah. So, yeah. So there was, so it's a Judeo Christian school. So they oh. had to attend chapel. They had to attend chapel once a week. It was very kind of Presbyterian. Mm. Um, in its delivery, um, a little liturgical, uh, mm. but, you know, they shared great stories from both. Lots of it was from the Old Testament, but there was stuff from the New Testament. Uh, but, you know, for us back then when we were doing this, so this is like late 90s, early 2000s, um, we were responsible for doing devotions in our home. Um, there was, you know, there were rules around pro proselytizing kids. Uh, but it was an incredible opportunity to show your faith. And so back then it was WWJD. And mm -hmm. uh, so what would Jesus do? That was a really big thing. And so we oftentimes would do our devotions around that. Um, and then we got to model that for our children as well. 
uh, the kids that were in our home as well. Yeah, it had a huge impact. Yeah, again, that's kind of lifestyle ministry too, right? Because ultimately when you're working through lots of difficult things, you get to find out you know, what you believe in, uh, you know, is it, you know, kind of that, do they get to see Christ in me as we're resolving conflict, as we're dealing with crisis, which, you know, we dealt with quite a bit, uh, but providing a safe home. And that's really hard when you think about taking eight to 10 kids from other family systems and throwing them into a house and trying to, at some level, be a family and operate and such. It's, you know, we have, man, thousands of stories about, you know, God, how, how God shaped them, but probably more than anything uh, shaped Karen and I in our marriage. Mm. Um yeah, so after that, um, ended up in Colorado Springs uh, working at Focus on the Family. I started out as their parenting manager, uh, but ultimately over the course of my six years became the director of parenting and youth uh, for Focus. Um, you know, for those who aren't familiar with Focus, it was started by Dr. James Dobson, really kind of uh, of an icon um, back in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, he's still uh doing a ministry called Family Talk, but Focus on the Family does a lot of stuff around marriage and parenting, uh, sanctity of human life um, from really a biblical perspective. And um, so had some really incredible opportunities there, really grew my own leadership, uh, got to work on some really cool things like, um, you know, we launched a, a blog called Dad Matters, um, and that was really powerful. We got to see God use some pretty cool things through the blog um, and got to work on some other cool curriculums and experiences. We did a simulcast while we were there, but I was kind of the intern, the internal expert on parenting trends, what was impacting family, and then really trying to create the right content web-wise, publishing-wise, in terms of meeting those needs. Mm. Um, and then that door closed in 2014, and then ended up where you and I got to eventually get to know each other, mm. uh, was at Camp Manatoc. Um, in New Hampshire. And so God called me to lead that camp for six years uh, until really kind of COVID, um, you know, it was kind of the nail in the coffin. We, you know, went through a lot of struggles there, uh, but ultimately the board divested and gave it to another great ministry there in New England at Berea and uh, doing a great job uh, continuing to lead that. Uh, but that door closed for me in 20, 2020. Um, and now I am the CEO here in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, I am the uh, CEO for Christian Heritage, which is uh, primarily been a foster care agency. Uh, we've been around over 40 years. Uh, we also work with dads, um, primarily dads in prison. Um, so we help connect families and incarcerated uh, families, uh, dads in prison. Uh, we do day visits and then we do uh, like a daddy daughter dance. We'll do father son events. They're in the prison, so we partner with them. Um, a lot of it's parenting and relational training that we provide. There's nothing faith-based about the work that we do in prisons, but a lot of the faith work is actually working with the families outside of that. Um, and then we're really moving into the future of Christian Heritage's really obviously continue to do those two things really well, but really moving into the, prevent, the preventative side of things, which is mobilizing the church, uh, providing kind of keep, how do we keep kids out of foster care? And uh, so really working on kind of a free foster care system, you know, uh, that helps mobilize God's people mm. to care for kids. Uh, about 82% of kids in Nebraska right now are in, uh, in foster care because of neglect. Neglect can be prevented. And so we really want to see how do we keep kids out of the system. It's, you know, the system's broken. And so how do we help do that? And a lot of these families that we work with are not connected 
they don't have supports. And so how can we be a bridge to the church? Mm. And uh, and really excited about that opportunity. Been mm. married 27 years to my wife, Karen. We've got three amazing kids. Nicholas, he's 24. Uh, Anna's 19 and Emily is uh, 16. Uh, so we got one more left in the in the nest, so to speak. Uh, two more years yet before high school is over for her. So that's cool, man. With everything that you've done um, working with young people, how big a deal are fathers in the home, or how big a deal is it with the absence of fathers? Talk about that for a little it's, bit. It's ma- it's massive. Like you know, if someone asked me. You know, if you could do one thing to cure the ills of society, I'm like, we got to focus all of our attention on dads. Um, You know, dads are one of the most critical aspects or linchpins to the health and flourishing of a family. Um, And that is not to, you know, this isn't a competition, Jason, right? We think about moms and dads, right? This isn't who's more valuable than other in God's design. Both of them are extremely valuable to Mm -hmm. raising children. But I think society has neutered men so much and neutered the role of fathers uh, in our culture that it's, it's a, it's an afterthought. Um, And you'll see that. Like I look at all the literature about, you know, how do we cure, you know, our ills, or we look at, for example, school violence, um, and how do we, you know, look at schools? You know, if you look at people writing, experts writing about how do you reduce violent behavior in schools or shoot school shootings and all of that, they'll say, well, we need to hire more guidance counselors or we need to hire more therapists and we need it like, no, you need dads actively involved in their homes mm-hmm. and, and, and to be invested, to be present um, you know, we just talked about, you know, my history with adjudicated youth and kids in foster care. I could count on one hand, Jason, the amount of positive, active fathers in those kids' lives. Mm. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. I could count on one hand. And so, you know, there, there's a pattern there. And so, you know, so I think part of that is we need to inspire, we need to equip, we need to just bolster the importance of fatherhood. Uh, in our culture. And, and I think it, I find it fascinating, even from a biblical perspective, we think about how the Old Testament ends. Um, you know, Malachi prophesies that the hearts of the fathers should return back to their children and, and vice versa. The children should you know return their hearts back to their fathers. And then how do we start off the beginning of the New Testament? You know, John, John the Baptist has talked about the whole, the, this prophecy over him of he will help return the hearts of their fathers back to their children and the dis and, you know, deal with the disobedient. I'm kind of giving you the message paraphrase of that, mm-hmm. but I find it interesting that of this 400 year gap, as we summarize the old Testament and we start off the new Testament, fathers are a critical part of that conversation of all the things they could have said, mm-hmm. why fathers and the relationship they have with their children. I think it's vitally important for the spiritual health, but I think the mental, emotional, physical presence of a, of a dad in their homes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one of the episodes I did recently, um, uh, I was taking some notes from a message yeah. I heard from pastor John MacArthur and I was sharing things and he went through some incredible statistics, but I believe that he said over 80% of men that are incarcerated in prison come from fatherless homes. Yeah. I mean, to me, I'm like, yeah, duh. But some people just don't see to make that connection. 
Yeah, the statistics, but but we have to go. I when we use those kind of fatherless issues, well, you know, we like, well, my at least I'm in my house. It's it's not mm-hmm. just the lack of 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 the uh, the physical presence of a father. It, it is, you know, when I when I think of faith transmission, and I look at fathers from a faith transmission perspective, right? Um, the research Vern Bankston did an incredible study about ten years ago. Uh, they did a longitudinal study. They interviewed. Uh, 350 families, 3,500 individuals over 35 years. It's it is an incredible study, and they looked at faith transmission. And it wasn't just one of the, the statements that they make in there. It's fervent faith does not replace a distant dad. And and so we think about how fervent our faith can be. But if my kids do not feel emotionally safe, if if my children don't have some kind of relational emotional connection to me. It 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 um it erodes away at my faith. It er, it erodes my witness in my own home, mm. right? And so part of that is is my children need to sense their loving affirmation, the blessing of the Father on their lives, and and if if I don't connect my faith to that, it it has a massive impact on them, you know that with that faith transmission generationally to generationally. So it's not just the fatherlessness from a physical perspective, it is the fatherlessness. I think that all of us are responsible in terms of nurturing and loving and extending mercy and grace in our homes in really powerful ways. And I don't care if you're doing devotions every day. I don't care if you're, you're taking your kids to church every Sunday. I mean, you can check all the boxes, but if they do not feel safe in their relationship with their dad, it neutralizes everything that you're teaching them. Um, you know, because there's a lot of other studies would validate that, but not to get in all the research. But I think, you know, we'll use about the impact of fatherlessness on prisons. But I actually think it goes much deeper than that. I, I think that is just kind of a symptom of a much larger, deeper spiritual issue of the role that dads play in that. And that study, fascinating, Jason, they, they, they actually compared mom and dad to faith transmission generationally. Dad is number one when it comes to the linchpin of faith in their home. Dad is number one. Dad is the number one pastor or shepherd in their home. And many of us have never been told that. Mm. Um, I think if most men understood that and and under, you know, understood the impact of that and the thoughts behind that, I think it would change the way we go about running church. I think it would change the way that we think about our homes. I think men, I think once we understand the call in our lives, Jason, I know most guys like I'm up for it. Like, mm. I, let me know what the, let me know what the outcome is. Let me know what the one thing I need to focus on in. And I will, and I will die for, for that. I think most mm. of us understand that, but I think that's really key and critical. Yeah. Man, a couple of thoughts with that, that I had is a lot of guys, I get why they run from fatherhood. It is hard. It's work. It is die to self. It is incredibly humbling. Because as they get older, um, they see you for who you really are. They begin to think on their own, talk back. They will call things out about you. And your issues are going to be exposed. First of all, marriage will expose your issues if you haven't dealt with them. Mm -hmm. But then parenting exposes your issues if you haven't dealt with them. And there are many times where I felt like, you know, when I'm in the middle of a conflict or something's not going right with my teens when they were growing up, I'm just like, this is, I suck as a dad. I'm like, whatever, you know, they don't even like me right now. 
Uh, they'd be better off without me. All those thoughts come crashing in. You know, the grass looks greener on the other side, whatever. I'm just going to throw in the towel. But thankfully, I had some other men in my life, influences that were like, no, you're not going to do that. And I was also watching them not do that. And so you sleep it off and you get up the next day and you're like, you and I always refer to a lot of Rocky movies together, but that scene in Rocky five, I believe it is when he looks at Tommy in the street and he's like, yo, Tommy, you know, one more round. I ain't done. One more round. Yeah. And so it's, that's what we got to continually do as fathers because and we need guys to tell us in that whole influencing discipling of men and fathers, you're going to drop the ball. No one does it perfectly, but let's correct, you know, the course of the ship and let's get it back on track. And here we go. But so. it was never meant to be, but Jason, it was, we were never meant fathering, fathering and mothering. I think about that it was never meant to be perfect. And this is where the gospel, this is where the gospel comes to life is I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to be perfect, right? So you think about those bedrocks of our faith, mercy, grace, forgiveness. What better relationship to, you know, breathe life into the very tenets and core of our faith through the parent-child relationship? The other thought I had as you were sharing that was this. Listen, if I don't do my due diligence and do everything I can, I don't want my child to become the mission field for someone else. Mm. I don't. If if I'm not doing, if my kids walk from my house and do not understand the love and incredible love that my Abba, my Abba has for them as children, that at some level when they walk away and, and the, the hypocrisy of my faith kind of oozes out, technically they become the mission field for someone else. And I don't want that. Like my primary mission field, my primary place, first and foremost, is my home. And do they see Jesus in me? Um, and that work of Christ in me. Um, so if, if someone says, well, you know, Roy, how much have you grown in your faith? I'm like, just ask my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my dad, man, you know, we used to walk on eggshells around my dad. And that is true for like, I've written a lot about, you know, my own journey as a dad, you know, kind of that generational anger, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of passed down generationally. Like at some level, I want to end. I want that to end on my shift. Like I want this to end on my watch. Mm-hmm. But at some level, I know that I'm going to be passing that down. And so, how do how do I help my kids see that? In like, my dad is super intentional. And and Father's Day, I'll be honest with you. This fast Father's Day, I got cards for my kids, and there were some just really powerful statements that they wrote in those cards about just was a- affirmation and validation for me that I'm after the right things. And I know I don't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, what our goal is as dads. And we need to find the right community. So I love what you do. So I love the Grizz podcast. We need safe places to come to terms with our stuff where we know that we're going to be loved, but ultimately held accountable to, to a higher standard that which I think God calls us to. We need the brotherhood who like you and I do this all the time. It's like one more round, bro. Mm-hmm. Like we just get up, get off of that mat and get after it. And I think that's the encouragement that we need to be for each other. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. You know, a couple of thoughts, like with what I've been trying to do over the last year with the online small group for men who need support yep. and recovery from just porn addiction, loss, whatever. A lot of guys think, oh, so they're only checking in with, did they look at porn this week? And that's, I need to do better making making it clear that that's not all we're doing. We're trying to develop the whole man. 
So even last night we had a, uh, our Monday night, 9 PM Eastern climb team meeting, but the guys are checking in first of all, like what was the highlight of your weekend for father's day? So just hearing how they're doing, some guys are like, it didn't, didn't go good at all. This is what happened, but they need to get that out. And then we also check not just on their purity, but how did you do with health and exercise this week? Did you do something? Are you working on yourself? Cause I'm real big on body, mind, spirit. God created all three, all three matter to God. And as you work on all three, it's going to help you succeed in life and in marriage and in family. And I just tell the guys, I'm like, I want you around for your grandkids. Good night. It's taken how many decades to learn what we've learned the hard way to make the mistakes that we've made. And now it's like, really, to me, that's our prime where it's like, here it comes, like squeeze this sponge, wring out the juice. Um, yeah. So that comes to that's mind. Good. What I wanted to see, like what you thought about this, I've been learning this in my own life uh, the last few years, is that one of the greatest things that I can actually give my kids and mine are pretty much grown. The last one's about to leave the house. But one of the greatest things mm. I can give my kids is loving their mom. Never stop loving their mom. So many guys are just like, man, but I give my kids this. I'm putting them in this school and I'm doing everything. I spend time with them, took them to the ball game, but they treat their wife, the kid's mom, like crap. And I have been just trying to be more intentional about love her, be soft, be gentle, listen to her, let the kids see that I am in love with her and pursuing her more than ever. So thoughts on that? Amen. Yeah. So I'll, I'll share a story. So uh, Karen and I, after two years at um, at the residential school, um, you know, we were raising 10 middle school, high school girls that weren't ours. Um, it was a, it was a pretty dysfunctional home while we got there. Um, and then we had our first, by the way, as well through that. So about two years in our marriage literally fell apart. Uh, Karen and I had to end up getting into counseling. I really thought divorce was going to happen. And, you know, Karen and I worked through a lot through that. Our church really came around us at the time um, when we did, you know, kind of pastoral care for about eight, eight to nine months and um, got to a, a, a much better place of wholeness and healthiness in our marriage. And um, I remember we had a girl in our home at the time uh, who had been through those first two or three years. She was graduating um, and it was in the laundry room where it was kind of a graduation party. And she said, she said this to Karen and I, she thanked us. And she says, I know that you tried to keep us from knowing all that was going on in your marriage, but you know, these kind of walls, these walls are thin, you know, we, we you know, we heard and saw things. She said, I am so appreciative that you fought for your marriage. And she just talked about the brokenness in her own family, the many divorces in her family, and just. So the most impactful thing was something that we thought we were keeping everybody from like, they don't need to know about our junk. We're working through our junk, but they all knew about our junk. And that was probably one of the most impactful things was just working on our own marriage relationship. Like of all the things, right? You think about that. Like the one thing that we didn't sit down and talk about a devotions or, hey, we're sitting down and we're going to talk about this from an educational perspective. It was real life seeing two people who had only been married two years before we took over, you know, a home of middle school, high school girls, mm -hmm. you know, had our first 
all of those kinds of things. It was our marriage and our fight for our marriage that was probably the most impactful for her. So I think that just validates, at least for me personally, why Karen and I are always trying to make sure that we're caring well for the, our marriage. I want my children to see that. I want my daughters, right? I have two, I have a 16 and 19 year old daughter. I want them to see how men should be treating women. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of good examples in our society today. I need to be that example for them. They need to know what love looks like. They need to know how to resolve conflict well. They need to see forgiveness between a husband and wife and what that looks like. They need to see me dating her on a regular basis. Like I want those kinds of patterns that they would want that and long for that in their own in their own life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I don't think that's like some Cinderella Disney movie, right? Of, you know, everything is bliss or a Hallmark movie. I, my family's anything but a Hallmark movie. It's more mm -hmm. like a lifetime movie, um, but it's but it's real life. And I think that's where faith can really be ignited uh, through that. And, and obviously it's through our own healthiness and our own wholeness by which they need to see that as well. We can't, I, I love what you're doing with the, with the, the climb teams because it, it's like, how do we connect the day-to-day? -day? I think we compartmentalize so much that we don't see our own health and our own wholeness and direct relationship to our spiritual health. It, it's all in, intimately created and designed that way. Yeah. Um, I know that's true for my own recovery out of porn addiction. Man, I, my, I was in porn, not because it was a sin issue for me, which it was. It was manifesting itself as sin. But I had some major wounds in my life that I never dealt with. And how did I deal with wounds in my life? I medicated, right? Mm -hmm. I, I might not have been doing alcohol or drugs, but I was doing something else that eased the pain that I was experiencing. So the only way for me to do that, dude, is I had to come to terms with some of my wounds. I've had to come to terms with some of my trauma. And that has significantly decreased my dependence on anything other than Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a big part of what I love what you're doing with the climb teams. Uh, we need to start compartmentalizing and just we need to start taking it as a whole, not separating things out like I think we often do. Yeah, my friend Matt Dobshutes over at Porn Free Radio uh, wrote a book this past year called uh, Porn Free. And the big uh, takeaway from the book is that porn is not the problem. Porn mm -hmm. is the solution that you've been going to for your problems. And every time we go to porn, masturbation, something like that, or for guys like I'm yep. going to a strip club, I'm going to that massage parlor, you're looking for a way to medicate and cope with some kind of underlying problem or issue, whether it be loneliness, whether it be um, I'm in isolation, I'm overly stressed, um, I have wounds that are just unresolved that I'm trying to like deal with. And you've been most guys like they've been doing it for decades. It's very ingrained. It's a very difficult addiction to break. Like you need God, you need his word, you need a support system, other guys. And even when you have all of those things, it's this learning process, this climb where it's like, I've made some progress. I feel like I, I often think of Everest, you know, I made it to camp one, but it's like, I right. can't, I, I fell. I've got to go back down and work on my climbing again to get to camp too. And there's, there's slips, there's falls, but I tell the guys we're roped in together, you know, and as they make progress, even when a guy gets one month of sobriety, 
we send him his first carabiner that he can keep on his keychain or keep it up on his office. It's just like, look, you made it. I want to acknowledge that and reward it. That's a big deal. Some guys are like, I've never had 30 days away from porn or lust um, since really going back to childhood. And then when they hit 60 day, we celebrate six months, nine months, like a lot of recovery programs, but guys need that. But porn is not really the problem. Porn is what we go to for a solution to our problems. And we have to constantly try to figure out what, what are better things? How can I, I talk about replacement a lot. It's not just separate from the sin and trying to prevent sin and locking things down and having monitoring software. All of that's important. But how are you going to replace it with better things? And one of the better things is just show up to group every week with some guys, get some community connection in your life. And then I ask guys, like, what are you doing for fun this week? Man, you want to talk about a deer in headlights, especially with guys in ministry, leaders. What are you doing for fun this week? What are you going to do that's your passion? That thing that you get giggly about, like, oh, I can't wait. And a lot of guys are like, well, you know, I got vacation coming this summer. I'm like, dude, there should be something once a week that you get giddy about thoughts on that brother. No, absolutely agree. So when I moved here from, you know, Manadnock, which was incredible family, I mean, you know, the staff that we had there and we were pretty tight and close. I knew moving to Lincoln, my number one priority, Jason, is I needed friends Mm. and, and I have friends in Colorado and New Hampshire and, you know, in the Carolinas, you know, it's like, and, and there are people that I know that I can reach out to in a bind, but I needed some local people who were invested in me. And so it was kind of weird, to be honest with you. I started eating with a few guys and um, I was just kind of cutting to the chase. I'm like, dude, seriously, I need a friend. Like, you want to be my friend? It was kind of weird. It was kind of awkward. I could be socially awkward. I'm not really good at small talk. And uh, so it's like going on a date for the first time. It's like, hey, by the way, I'm I'm interested in marriage. If you're not interested in me, like, I don't even want to waste time. (laughs) I'm the same way. It was kind of weird. But but I need I need friends and I and I think friends who know Roy, um, you know, at camp it was hard because people knew me as the camp director. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at Focus, I was the director of foster care. I was the director of parenting and youth. Um, here in Lincoln, like no one knew who I was other than Roy. So I've been a part of a men's group on Saturday mornings. We get together and study his word at seven a.m. And then out of that, I have been really intentional about building friends. Um, and so I'm grabbing lunch with people and grabbing coffee with guys and, and it's this two way street. And, and I've been really allowing myself to be open because I know my tendency is, you know, I'm really good at solving problems. I'm a, I'm a good problem solver. I'm a good fixer, but I, I've been really trying to give that up to be honest and just really just developing genuine friendships of not trying to have all the answers of being, I'm pretty open. I think most people who think about me is like, where he's pretty open, authentic, vulnerable about, transparent about his stuff, and I am. Um, but you know, it's one of those ideas where everyone can know me, but no one really knows me well. Mm-hmm. And that part of that for me is I really need to allow more people into that. They really don't know me well. Mm. Um, and so I've been really intentional about those kinds of friendships. I think the other big thing that, you know, if you saw me uh, two years ago, Jason, I mean, I was coming out of depression. You know, my identity was so tied to Medadnock and my role there. And I just loved it. I mean, God and I had a lot of hard conversations about, you know, God, why, you you know, almost like, God, why are you taking this from me? Mm. You know, what's more important than telling kids about Jesus? Like, this is the gospel. 
you know, I loved, I love the work there. And he's like, but that's not what I have for you. I have something else for you. Mm. And man, I was 40 pounds overweight. I was mentally, emotionally spent. You know, my wife's like, you need to get help. I had people who didn't even know Jesus saying, Roy, you need to get help. And I'm such a warrior at heart. I'm like, never, I'm never giving up. Like, it's just mm-hmm. it's like that one more round, you know, and that's my personality. But man, I just, I was a shell two years ago. And so I've been really intentional about my own journey and getting healthier. I'm, I'm almost 40 pounds lighter than I was um, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got friendships and friends that I haven't had before. You know, I'm just... I am just trying to be a healthier person. Um, It's not tied to performance. It's not tied to my resume. Um, It's not tied to what I can offer people. It's just allowing God to delight in me and Mm -hmm. me to delight in him. I'm really trying to simplify where I find my significance. I'm trying to simplify that away from just the activity and just trying to be. Um, and man, it's so, it's been so life-giving for me. Um, and I have such peace about, you know, the things that I obviously been a lot of stress in my life, but there's a different approach to that. So I'm grateful for, I think the hard lessons I learned at, at Menadnock. Yeah. But anyways, those are just a couple of things. No, it's all good. Guys need to hear it. Some of the most unhealthy Christian guys I know are pastors, youth pastors, and they're in leadership. Now, I love them. They have a huge heart, and a lot of times they don't know how to say no. Uh, They're working hard. They're trying to reach people, grow people, have the best programs, all of that, and there's a pressure on them. Hey, we got to keep producing. You got to produce. You got to bring it. You got to bring it. That was me, 15 years serving at three different churches, Um, Mm -hmm. I get that pressure, but yet on the inside beneath it all, like, just like you unhealthy. And then even on the outside, I'm gaining weight. I'm 50 pounds overweight. I I don't even like looking at myself in the mirror. I feel embarrassed. I don't want to ever take my shirt off anywhere. Not that anyone has to look like they're going to be on the cover of men's fitness at all, but there was, it wasn't there's a difference between, Hey, yeah, I'm overweight a little bit, have a belly. And then your gluttonous, you you are completely neglecting the care of your body, which is the temple. And I just see these guys like, man, I, I try to help them. I'm like, you've got to pull back. You've got to make more time for self-care. Uh, and they're like, you don't understand my schedule. And I'm like, no, I, I, I do understand the schedule, but I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to sustain what you're doing. Your marriage is going to fall apart. Your parenting is going to fall apart. You've got to take time for yourself. You've got to take time for your marriage. You've got to take time for your kids. I had a guy tell me, a mentor one time, he goes, when have you reached enough young people for Jesus? Like, what's the number for you? When when is it? And he's like, come on, just give it to me. When is it? And he goes, when have you reached the pinnacle of what you deem success where others look to you and you're like, he's arrived. And it was infinite. There, there, there's always someone else to reach for Jesus. There's always someone else to disciple, a phone call to take, to counsel. There's always someone else in crisis. But one of the best things I can do for the people that I do try to reach and disciple and help that are in crisis is, like today, I know that my lunch break for one hour, I already sent it to my accountability, my workout for the day, because that helps me stick with it. I'll go to lunch at the gym, because I can eat on the road or eat wherever. 
but I'm like, yo, I'm doing this many sets of military, this many sets of this. And I don't do some big heavy weight. I'm just trying to do like a 45 minute workout, move my body, walk, stretch a lot. Cause I have so much, you know, <laughs> mileage on this body of mine that I got to deal with. But, uh, and then taking time, even when I'm stretching, that's a time, like I'll go into meditation mode and I'll just pray and I'll think through scripture I think about like, what do I need to do today when my wife gets home, when my kids get home? Um, so that was one of well, my thoughts. And I'm not, I'm not knocking guys in leadership and ministry. I'm trying to honestly help them and get them to wake up that you feel like I'm not doing everything I could be for the ministry because I'm off doing something for myself. That's one of the best freaking things you can do for the ministry. Anyway, go ahead. No, brother. I yeah, you're 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 preaching to the choir for me, you know. In the sense of that, I mean, because I I am a a case study or poster child of what happens when you're all in, but not having any boundaries, not caring well for my own tribe, um, as I'm caring for everybody else's tribe, and and you know it gutted me. And I think that's the lie in Christian. Be honest with you, the lie in Christian ministry. I think. There's such an unhealthy relationship between Christian leadership and those sitting in the pews. Um, mm -hmm. It is a codependent relationship, mm -hmm. you know. And so, part of the, the at the heart of discipleship is not what I can offer you. Um, it's it's what as the body of Christ does mutually. That's the shared ownership of the gospel. But I see in many churches, we've bought the lie that we need to do the next podcast. We've got to write the next book. <laughs> it is all of these things that I just see how cultures creeped in, that somehow I need more numbers. I need to write all of these different things to validate to validate my role in terms of you know, the work I'm doing to somehow advance God's kingdom. None of that you will find. In, I don't think you'll find any of that in scripture at all. If Roy or Jason have in our schedule these windows throughout the week like say you're like dude tuesday thursday and saturday i block out this two-hour window where i go to this place whether it's at a lake a beach whatever maybe you've got just a coffee shop and all you are there to do is read and think and get some of your thoughts together for maybe future things you want to write or even talk about so many guys are just, they're not carving out these times of solitude and meditation to even get your thoughts together uh, and to yeah. read and absorb and go, I need to be learning constantly. I've, I've got pastors that are telling me like, man, I love the new AI chat. And they're just like getting tons of information from that. And I'm like, dude, you need to carve out some blocks. You're not wasting time you're not being lazy just to sit and read and soak you are becoming um better for your people by doing that now don't go do Amen. that and then start scrolling through social media many times like i have to like turn the phone off and my wife will get mad at me she'll get a hold of me three hours later she's like what's your deal i was trying to call you i'm like i have got to turn that freaking thing off because I'm tempted to just start looking at social media or what email just popped in. And then I break that connection. What's, what's happened in that flow state of, uh, for me, oftentimes it's not just connecting with God, but even creativity. Um, if I'm real busy and there's the hustle and bustle and the calendar and the yeah. to do's and, oh, I got to go mow the grass. Oh, I forgot to clean the pool. 
I never get in a flow state where I'm like, this would be good content for the podcast. So any thoughts? You need that. You need to create that space. Yeah. So, and I would say like one of the best, one of the best things I've done is I have these two hammock seats in my, in my backyard. I don't have a huge backyard. Uh, but I have, I have these two hammock seats that are hanging and oftentimes my wife and I are just in the back and we're just swinging in our hat. I tell you what it is like, and I feel like, you know, it's almost this idea, like I can do more for God instead of doing more with God. And, and to do that, I need to spend that quality, that quality time with him. And, and I, and I have to be honest with you, the areas that I don't do that. And to be honest with you, Jason, is because I'm not trusting him with it. I'm not trusting the Lord with outcomes. So I have to control that. So I think about the, you know, in the New Testament, he talks about putting your hand to the plow and, you know, kind of forgetting what's behind. I'm really good. I'm really good at that. Like at some level, like, but I think what we do and this kind of is kind of what you're getting at a little bit is we put the hand to the plow, but do we start putting decals on the plow? You know, mm. we, we start, tri- we start tricking it out. You know, it's, we start making the plow hours. And then, and then the next thing we know, it's not just the plow is ours, the field becomes ours. Mm. And so we think at some level we have control over the seeds being planted and the crop that's going to be producing. And then next thing you know, it's no longer his plow and his field, it's mine. Mm. And, and I think one of the things that's been such a huge breakthrough for me is the plow was never intended to be mine. It's simply, it's, it's, I'm renting it, I'm leasing it, mm. I'm given this opportunity to use it. Um, my mission and my calling, but I can't produce a crop. I can do all the right things, but at the end of the day, he's responsible for the harvest. I I am simply tending his field, but I think that's where we miss it. I think I missed it, right? At Menadnock, Menadnock was mine. I might've said by words, hey, Lord, you know, you're the CEO of Menadnock, but man, I operated fully as if that bad boy was mine Mm. and my identity was tied to every experience. Um, my identity was tied to the outcomes of Monadnock. And I think God just taught me a really hard lesson. Like that's not how my economy works, bud. And um, and I think God will is redeem will redeem even our foolishness at times. Um, but at at the core of some of that for me was just my own pride. Yeah. Um, I would I would hate to think that but about me, but it's true. Um, I think we can get caught up in our activity and work and believe that it's ours, that somehow I have control over it. And we do not. Yeah. And that's why I think these times of pulling away from everything, times of solitude, even if there's just one day a week where you're like, it's a half day, I don't even go into the office as a pastor or youth pastor, whatever. But you you really need to evaluate things like that. I think we're so busy. Sometimes we don't take time to just think and, you know, examine how are things going with me? How are things going with my marriage, my family, how are things really going in the ministry? Not what I'm trying to tell people in a newsletter, but how are things really going and what can I work on? And that's when you even, you know, may hear from God saying, it's not your plow. It's not your field. It's mine. And I'm going to do my work with or without you. I, I don't need you. I can make it happen without you, but I want you to be part of it. Um, But in this process, like I'm just really big, guys need to take care of themselves. It's just like when you said that those uh, people could hear through the walls with you and Karen and could tell you guys were working through issues, but it has that powerful effect. Like, hey, they worked through issues. We got to see it. They're still together. 
uh, there's something powerful when people see that, hey, I know that Roy takes lots of time to enrich himself. I know that Roy's taking time to try to get healthy, even physically. And um, right. it's just good stuff. Last thing I wanted to mention was um, go back to the dad thing. We're coming off Father's Day. Um, yep. I want the dads to just know that when Roy was saying, like, they're not going to see a perfect dad. They're not going to see a perfect mom. That's never going to happen. But they should see a growing dad. And it's good for your kids to see things like dad does go to counseling. Dad does go to a recovery group. Dad does have accountability in his life. I see that dad does get up and he tries to get in the word and pray, not because he's trying to act like a holy roller, but because he's like, I can't do this. I need God's direction. I need his guidance. Um, and then they begin to see the shifts in dad. Dad is gentler with mom. Dad is more loving with mom. He's more humbled. He's more self-controlled. I'm not seeing the outburst of anger in dad. Like yep. they should see a progression. Like my kids sometimes refer to the old dad or the old Jason. And it's a, it hurts when they say that. I'm just like, uh, mm -hmm. there's some things that they could bring up that they were like, we didn't like you. Part of us was like thinking, mom, you just need to leave this guy the way he's acting. But they've seen things change. They've seen things just become better, me become a better man. And to me, I'm like, thank you, Lord, because I prayed and I begged God, God, please help me save my marriage, save my family, help it to become right. better. And uh, I don't want to lose them. Um, so closing well, thoughts on that, brother. Yeah, th I, I think it's, this thing's, you know, I'm, as I hear that, I think about Jesus and Peter walking along the lake after Jesus, after Peter disappointed, right? Three times denied Jesus. And, and I think we see this really beautiful walk. And, and I would equate that to maybe between a father and a son of, you know, here's here's the old Peter and living in shame, knowing that he, he let his father down. Um, and what is what does Jesus do? You know, Jesus um, doesn't. I told you so. There's not. That's not a shame moment. I think Jesus calls him to a much higher thing. Is do you love me? Um, and Peter three times, right? And, and, and on the third time, he's like, okay, I know. Like, but he's like, but in the process of restoring that relationship, he's also giving him a command: go feed my sheep. You say you love me, but go do. And I think as I, you know, I think about my own journey and I recently wrote about this. So I have a blog called sincerereligion.com. Um, you know, I write occasionally and just put stuff up there, but I recently wrote a piece called sincere faith cannot be outsourced. Um, and part of that at the end of that blog post, when I talk about the sincerity of our faith and how that plays out in, in my relationship with my dad is I shared the story about me sitting down with my kids and I own my stuff. Like I've been moody, I've been stressed, I've taken out on, on you. Like I'm not, by the way, I don't want you being okay with it because I'm not like, I'm not okay with, with that. And I think oftentimes our kids are quick. No, dad, I know you, we know you love us and blah, 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 blah. But I, I have been called to steward my relationship with Jesus in such a way that they can experience 
his love, his grace, and his mercy, but I have to model for them the sincerity of that faith as I am this work in progress myself. That's not meant for me to, the way I talk about it is, I can't clean myself up and just portray this new guy. I, I think the job is, is they need to see how I'm cleaning myself up. And it's actually not me, it's Christ's work in me. Like yeah. they need to under, like those are the connections they need to make is, oh my gosh, so when I disappoint, Jesus someday, my gosh, my dad modeled for us all the time about what it means to be a screw up because he would own it. He would show growth. He became a, he became a gentler man. He became a less angry guy. Mm. And it's not because he was reading the next self-help book. Mm -hmm. It was because of the work Jesus was doing in his life. That is the sincerity of our faith. And, and again, I think we see that through the old, I think we especially see that in the New Testament, the way Jesus walked along disciples, but I think especially in his relationship with Peter. I think we see this really beautiful relationship almost as a father and a son about how he was constantly calling him the great things, but oftentimes like get behind me, Satan. And in one moment, he's like, I'm going to build the church on you. Like it was just this constant relationship. But, mm -hmm. but I think that's what, I think that's what it means to be a dad. I think that's the encouragement that we need to have is God is not asking you to do this perfectly. He's not asking me to do this perfectly, but he is saying, but be that walking billboard because mm -hmm. I'm going to use you despite you. I'm going to help your children's faith grow despite you. And I have to be, I have to be okay with that process. That's the process I need to trust is his work in my life. And he's going to use it in such a way that's not just for my benefit, but it's for the benefit of my wife. It's for the benefit of my children. So they can do what? They can pass that on to their children someday. This heart of this, for me, the heart of discipleship, the heart of faith transmission and why it's so important. That's good. I think so many guys, when you come into parenting at first, you think this is how they're going to be by the time they're teenagers. They're going to be these godly teenagers. They're going to want to go on mission trips. They're going to be reading their Bible every day, praying all of that, they're, you know, going to be getting up on youth Sunday at the church and they're the one that's going to share. That's, that's going to be my kid. And I just want to encourage the young dads like, dude, just tear that down. Parenting yep. is for the long haul. And so you may have one of your kids that does not embrace following Christ through high school, through college, but right. you're not done yet. Like you just keep going. Amen. I'm doing that. I'm just still going, trying to be a light, trying to influence, trying to reach out to them. You, you can feel disappointed that you're like, well, I don't have the story of the other guy. That's like his kid got saved at 10, got baptized a week later. And then his kids leading things in the youth group. And he's in Guatemala every summer. I'm like that. Great. Good for that guy. But like, we're just called to be a dad to wherever our kids are in this journey. And even if the journey right now is I'm not following Christ, I'm still called to be your dad and to love you, to reach out to you. And like I said earlier, one of the biggest things is to show you that I, I'm in love with your mom. Uh, it's such a powerful impact and I'm working on it. I know you are too. So yep. man, I appreciate you taking time to be on here. We could keep talking for another hour about I know we could, man. We could. All these important topics, but anyway, let the listeners know. Uh, how they can connect with you if they want to and mention that blog again as well. Yeah. So, you know, the best way is through, we have a blog, my wife and I have a blog called sincere religion.com. Uh, and uh, we, you know, are 
you know, it's not super regular, but, you know, I'm, we're posting, you know, probably at least once a month, posting a blog post of just family and faith. Uh, so that'd probably be the best way. Um, you can follow Christian Heritage. Um, myself and our director of development, James, uh, we started a live stream and podcast, Christian Heritage podcast. Um, and uh, we're very excited about that. We tackle lots of different things, specifically when it comes to vulnerable children at risk youth. So it's a great way to kind of stay connected. Um, and again, we do those on a weekly basis. And so you can find that podcast, Christian Heritage, on any of the you know, podcast platforms. And it's a good way to kind of stay in touch. And cool. I'm going to put links in the show notes for the guys, if they want to connect there, but Great. man, thanks again for being here. Thanks for being a friend over the years. And dude, I love you, brother. I love you. And I am just so grateful for the influence that you've had in my life. Um, I, I remember at camp, you know, one of the things that was really impactful for me, Jason is, you know, I would, I was a speaker like you, um, I, I, I didn't have rock star status like Jason George did at Manadnock. Um, but one of the things I just so appreciate about you is like, you would just encourage me like, dude, you just need to be true to who you are. Like, don't try to be something that you're not. And, uh, I am just so grateful for how you have, um, encouraged me, um, to be the man that God has called me to be. And it's just super genuine, authentic, and I'm very grateful for you in my life. And, uh, and just one more round, dude. That's that's mm. all God calls us to is one more round. Uh, yeah, got a couple closing items of Grizz Biz before we sign off. Hey, if this show is a blessing in your life, then be a blessing back to our nonprofit ministry by becoming a monthly supporter for as little as $10 or $20 a month. That's it, man. $10 or $20 per month would be a big blessing. Or you can just make a one-time donation. The Grizz Podcast is an outreach of Narrow Trail Ministries Incorporated. We are a legit 501c3 nonprofit organization. Guys, don't just be a consumer, be a contributor. Partner with us in what we're doing to ignite and equip men to honor God and live manly. You can make your donation at narrowtrail.com. Click on our give page, or you can take your phone right now and simply text the word give to 301-888-6860. 301-888-6860. Text the word give. It is quick and easy to set up. It's also safe and secure. I promise you that, my brothers. If you would like to connect with me, the email to do that is info at narrowtrail.com. Info at narrowtrail.com. There's also social media links in the show notes and at our website if you want to connect with me there. Also, don't forget about our climb teams, man. If you're interested in joining with us, go to our website, fill out that short online application. Also want to encourage you guys to get Covenant Eyes internet accountability software installed on all of your devices and on all of your kids' devices. It's an incredible tool to help you be successful in the fight for personal purity. If you don't know how to set any of it up, CovenantEyes.com. It's going to tell you how to do that. Sign up at CovenantEyes.com. And when you're at checkout, use the promo code GRIZZIN, G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N, GRIZZIN, and they're going to give you your first month completely free. And the Grizz 
Going to get a little bit of a kickback. Appreciate it. Please don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to The Grizz. It doesn't have to be long to be good, but man, that helps us get more exposure. Share this episode with a friend, your men's ministry, your small group, your mama. I don't know. That's it for now. I'll be back at you soon with another epic episode of The Grizz Podcast. Until then, my brothers, honor God, live manly. You're wild, man. Wild.